Welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. We interview people who have dealt with the trickiest of health challenges, but eventually learn to get well and stay well naturally. Now it's time to hear from one of our detectives and learn how another health issue has been solved. We hope you enjoy the show. Starting at like 10 or 12 bodybuilding until I um, even in my 20s, when I became a personal fitness trainer, I still thought more was better, more was better, right? I mean, if you, if you're exercising six days a week, that's better than three by, by any stretch. So anyhow, over-exercising led to more health issues. What is going on, guys? And welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. Well, we have one of those special occurrences where we get to talk to an FDN who actually mentors other FDNs. And that's how you know it's serious stuff here. We're talking to Dustin McFarland. This guy is absolutely brilliant. And one of the cool things is you guys know the topics that we're bringing on when we're talking to normal functional diagnostic nutrition practitioners. Obviously, these people are educated. Obviously, they know quite a bit about health and functional medicine. But remember, these are the mentors that are actually teaching these people and helping guide them through the course, um, answering their clinical questions when they're working with clients. So these people are the real deal. They know their stuff. Not anyone's getting into that position. Uh, there's really only a handful of people who are even allowed to be in that position. And so that's why I love talking to him today. And in addition to that, we, of course, naturally end up on topics that we wouldn't normally touch on. We're touching on root canals and how those affected him. I think he had, I forget the exact number, but it was several. Um, and he got a lot of dental work done all at once. It was not a fun process, but he shares with us the benefits of that and why it actually matters. We also talk about oxalates, which forget FDN, that's just a topic that's not really talked about in general. And um, you might not even know what those are. So we're going to talk about what those are today, which foods have them, as well as why you should care. A little bit about Dustin before we get started. Through his own health challenges and struggles, big shocker there, right? Dustin decided at an early age that the only way he was going to heal himself was to learn as much as possible about being healthy. While being a personal trainer and later a nutritional health coach, Dustin found his passion for helping others with their health. With his constant need for learning more and still knowing something was missing, Dustin found FDN, which put all the final pieces together for himself and his clients. Dustin has always tried to lead by example with his healthy lifestyle and diet since his early childhood. His desire to be active outdoors drives him to live an incredibly healthy lifestyle every day. Well, I loved talking to this guy, minus the fact that he's the only FDN with a deeper voice than myself. So without further ado, let's get to the episode. All right. Hey there, Dustin. Welcome to the Health Detective Podcast, my friend. Hey, Evan. It's so good to be here, man. Thank you so much for uh, letting me come on. I'm really excited. Well, of course. I mean, especially if we're going to let all the other FDNs on, we got to get an FDN mentor. Um, and guys, you know, I know I read it in the bio, but um, this is it's always cool to have someone that is actually mentoring other FDNs on the show, because I know that you guys love FDNs in general. We, we don't interview just FDNs on this show, uh, but people are always really impressed by those stories. So then we take someone who has a story and also has the knowledge to be helping other people go through the course and uh, with their lab results. And that's usually a, a pretty knowledgeable individual. Uh, so 
we're glad to have him on today. Now, Dustin, we're still going to start out the same way that we do with everyone on this show. And what's cool is I actually don't know Dustin's story, so this is totally authentic. Um, where did your health journey start? And like, what did the symptoms look like? And I'm assuming that you had those because very few people get into this work by accident. And I'm going to guess that wasn't the case for you. Yeah, absolutely, Evan. You know, I mean, the um, journey started young, you know, I mean, uh, basically um, got done breastfeeding at age two. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, mom put me on cow's milk. And um, she knew that it wasn't right. I mean, she knew that it didn't settle well with me. She went to the doctor, said, hey, you know, I don't think that, uh, you know, this cow's milk is settling. And, uh, you know, my journey probably would have been a whole lot different if the doctor had a different response. But instead, the doctor said, um, you can't take your son off cow's milk. He won't develop. And um, so anyhow, you know, she stuck with it and noticed that I was just sick. Um, and so she tried a few things, you know, she tried the raw dairy, she tried lactose free, um, you know, none of that seemed to matter. Um, but, uh, you know, she continued to stick with it. You know, it was the only thing that I was fed, um, led to, uh, lots of ear infections, uh, led to, um, tonsil problems, you know, ad adenoids problems. Um, so eventually had tubes in my ears, uh, tonsils removed, adenoids removed. And, um, probably, you know, one of the biggest devastating, uh, parts of it all was I was born, um, C-section and then I was put on a whole bunch of antibiotics, right? So, you know, I just, the knowing now what I know, right. The microbiome, um, you know, fortunately enough, I was breastfed, right. For two years, but the, yeah, uh, I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thankfully for that, you know, and, uh, I would definitely contribute, you know, at least having somewhat good health, um, to that. But, um, anyhow, the, um, antibiotics, you know, all the surgeries, you know, everything like that led to um, just, you know, more and more gut issues. So, you know, um, gut was a problem throughout, uh, you know, my um, school years. And, you know, probably the most challenging part, Evan, was that I missed a lot of school because I couldn't get off of the toilet. Uh, you know, I had just debilitating, you know, pain. I mean, I, it was, it was so, such bad cramping that I would just sit there for hours, not even being able to move. I mean, I felt like if I stood up mm -hmm. that I was just going to fall right back down. It was so painful. And um, so anyhow, you know, that just continued until, you know, I uh, got into bodybuilding really young. Um, and uh, what that did is that led me into more like nutrition reading and, you know, um, that type of thing. So I, um, you know, ended up finding out, you know, through a lot of different study that we're really the only species that drinks another species milk right after we're weaned. So um, I thought, you know, this is interesting. You know, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and give this a whirl. And so I actually took myself off a of dairy, you know, in my um, late teens. And, um, you know, I, I, I was just like, I can't believe what a difference this has made, you know, in my health. And um, so anyhow, you know, that that led me to like going, hey, if one food can make this much difference in somebody, um, just by removing it, you know, what else can, you know, nutrition do? And, uh, at that, at that time, you know, I mean, the fire was lit. I mean, I just, uh, I just couldn't get any or couldn't get enough. I couldn't get enough nutrition. Um, you know, everything that I read, even if it was about exercise, which I so, in uh, so loved, uh, and enjoyed, I still, um, would go down the, you know, I would look, I would look, go down the nutrition part. Like the nutrition was the most important, um, uh, part of it. So anyhow, just kept okay. studying nutrition and, uh, you know, just getting wow. you know, better. This is an interesting start because other than the breastfeeding thing, because actually, yeah, 
the fact that you were two years old before the breastfeeding stopped, I feel like is such a rarity in today's world if the kids even breastfed for a minute, right? Um, but the other interesting thing is that you had these early exposures to antibiotics from a pretty young age. And I always tell people this um, because I'm not against antibiotics by any means, right? Obviously, they save lives in certain circumstances. But I got hit, uh, you probably got hit as well, in a time period where these were looked at as like these miracle things that ah, don't really have any side effects. We'll just toss them for, uh, you got a common cold? Yeah, we'll, we'll toss it just in case of a sinus infection. It, it was nuts. And I ended up being on about 20 courses of these things before the age of 18, uh, some of which that lasted a month or more. And then there was like problems that the antibiotics led to like acne, which they would give me antibiotics for, ironically. Um, but, but then what else I find really interesting is that in these, the late teens uh, time that you got into the world of like bodybuilding and nutrition, um, and now most people wouldn't know it. I mean, it didn't work out so well for me, but I did actually start the whole uh, nutrition journey with this interest in natural bodybuilding and weightlifting and wanting to really get into that. And then for me, I kind of had... Um, I guess a discouraging realization with it that that wasn't a reason to stop per se, but I looked at the, those people that had these huge muscles. I thought that they were the epitome of health. Um, I wasn't ignorant. I knew that some people used steroids, but I figured most were actually as healthy as you could be. Otherwise, how could you look like that? And then Dustin, of course, you and I find that not only are these people uh, not the epitome of health. In fact, most of them are dying on the inside and you can look fantastic externally, but you might be on your path to an early grave internally. And so that was the first thing that got me focused on nutrition was almost like for me, I'm just speaking for myself, almost like a vanity aspect. And then I realized I was making my health worth health worse than ever before. You know, I'm an ectomorph. They're like, oh, just eat like uh, 3000 calories a day. And then if that's not working, literally you can add junk food in because you're an ectomorph. And that's what I would do. I was going to McDonald's and getting the dollar cheeseburgers. Um, it wasn't going so well for me, my friend. <laughs> so you said, uh, you know, you got into this whole thing because of the bodybuilding. You find out, wait a second, maybe this nutrition thing has some validity to it health wise because you finally remove cow's milk. Um, do you think there was anything else besides the cow's milk and antibiotics that led to your health issues that you were dealing with as a kid? It, it seems like you're pretty positive and confident that those were the two main things. You know, I think Evan, that that started it, no doubt about it, but, um, you know, it, it certainly wasn't the whole picture. Uh, one, one example I can give you for sure, you know, is that I went, uh, in my early twenties. So remember I'd met, removed dairy already. Now I went to my nature, a naturopathic doctor in the, my early twenties. And, uh, he said, um, Dustin open your mouth. And so I did, and I had eight mercury amalgam fillings. And, uh, you know, by the age of like 15, I had already had three root canals. So anyhow, you know, I, oh uh, he, he said, I'm not going to work with you if you don't get those mercury fillings removed. So, you know, I, I, he says you, um, uh, so I did, I, I removed those and then he tested my mercury levels and he said I was the highest he's ever seen in his practice. And, um, so anyhow, you know, I know that the heavy metals were a huge contributor. Um, and, um, also, you know, later to find out that these, uh, root canals were also another huge contributor, you know, because, um, once those were both properly removed, you know, out of my life, um, you know, my health just excelled more than ever, you know, and so, um, I would say that that's, uh, you know, probably the two biggest contributors uh, to ill health other than like you were saying um, earlier, this is interesting because the um, exercise and over exercising, like you said, is uh, you may look amazing, right? And I always tell people there's a difference between fitness and health. 
And, uh, and there's, and normally it's because the fitness, you look amazing and you're just ripped and shredded. Right. But the health is where, you know, your, your heart and your adrenals and your, you know, hormonal levels are all healthy and those type of things. And so that was another demise to my health is that from a young child, you know, um, basically right. Starting at like 10 or 12 bodybuilding until I, um, even in my twenties, when I became a personal fitness trainer, uh, I still thought more was better. More was better, right? I mean, if you if you're exercising six days a week, that's better than three by by any stretch. So anyhow, over exercising led to more health issues. So um, yeah, it's a it's a combo, not just dairy for sure. Uh, oh my god, so many things there. Especially, I'll do the quick one, which is the exercise, because I think people, yeah, fall into that trap that more is better with this. And they they have a limit in their head, of course, but it's so far from what the limit actually should be. Like if I said to someone, should you work out five hours a day, seven days a week? The average person, I believe, would say no to that. But yeah, no, they many people would believe seven days a week, two hours is totally appropriate. And you know what, man, unless you're like a really, really trained individual with incredibly low levels of stress in other areas of your life, like you're dedicating your life to a sport, a college athlete or whatever, that's not going to work for most people. It certainly doesn't work for me. Um, even to this day, because like I, you almost learn to choose where to put your stress. I love working, so I put a lot of effort into work. No, it's not realistic to work a 12-hour day sometimes and be working out two, three hours a day as well. That's not going to work. So you almost have to pick and choose. Uh, but the thing I want to go back to, because we've never really somehow in 100-something episodes have never really gotten to this topic on the show, um, and I love picking little pieces of people's stories, you had mentioned the root canal thing. And I think people understand, generally speaking, that mercury fillings equal bad, right? They might not understand why, but they can understand that it's bad. With the root canal thing, you said that you actually felt something once these were removed. So a lot of people believe that there's no issues with this. What is the issue with a root canal potentially that would have led to you feeling so much better when they got removed? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Evan, this is a super good question and I absolutely love talking about it. So I'm glad that we, uh, are, um, you know, the, uh, uh, number one, your tooth has, uh, miles and miles worth of tubulars in uh, the tooth. And, uh, this is basically an opportunity for a tooth to, uh, gain bacteria. If you've, if you've done killed the blood supply and the nerve supply, which is what a root canal does. So you're going to, you're going to drill into it. You're going to, you know, take out the root and the, um, you know, the, or the nerve and the blood supply. And then you're going to, you know, have basically a tooth that is dead in your mouth. So therefore you don't feel the pain and, uh, you know, you can, um, you know, leave it like that, or you can put a cap on it or whatever you want to do. Well, the, the miles and miles of tubulars I was talking about in there and, and those tubulars are real apparent, right? If you ever take in like a teaspoon of sugar and you like go, wow, that makes my teeth hurt. Um, you'll, that's, that's what's happening is the sugar is getting into those tubulars, basically those little mm -hmm. tiny openings. So the bacteria have no problem. I mean, if sugar can get into those, the bacteria goes crazy yeah. inside of those. And so what happens is, is without a nerve and without a blood supply, you basically have a, um, breeding ground for, you know, bacteria and, uh, you know, most are all, all root canals. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat this at all. I mean, all root canals are a dead, dying, decay, uh, piece in your body. And, and that's the, what's interesting is that this is the only profession, right? Dental 
that leaves dead, decaying tissue in the body. I mean, nobody else would do that. I mean, your, your medical doctor is not going to say, Hey, you know, your, um, you know, arm is dead, decaying. I'm going to leave that hanging there. You know, I mean, it's just not the way it happens. So, so what's cool, Evan, is this, is that I went to a biological dentist and, um, you know, not only did I, um, get that extracted and found out that, you know, the, uh, um, the amount of, um, you know, basically bacteria and infection was just more than I ever could dream about. And he took video footage of, you know, removing this and this is how I saw so much, but he also at the same time, um, did my cavitations, which were the, um, you know, uh, wisdom teeth that had been removed in my twenties. So I'd carried this and these infections around, you know, uh, most dentists don't remove the periodontal ligament. Um, which is what sits down below the the tooth, basically. And that needs to be removed because if not, that's a breeding ground for the bacteria. So um, what I can tell you, Evan, is that when I had my cavitations cleaned up and the root canals out of my mouth, my immune system went through the roof. I mean, we're talking just strong as it ever has been, um, you know, just really, uh, you know, almost non-existent getting sick. Um, you know, I mean, it's just really been amazing and, and just, you know, um, finally, you know, felt this energy and vitality that I had been missing for so long. And, um, you know, there's a documentary out there. I don't know if you've heard of it called the root cause. Um, but it's all about this, you know, journey. Um, so it's super great. You know, I encourage anybody to watch it. Um, the, um, ADA, you know, um, the America Dental Association, uh, made Netflix pull it. So, um, because, uh, you know, we certainly wouldn't want to get the truth out there. Um, but anyhow, so that's kind of the, um, you know, story there. Yeah. All right. Geez. I mean, it is, it's crazy what happens. And, um, you know, I have a long story short, so I got a root canal about a year and a half ago and it was the first one I've ever had and hopefully the last. And what happened with that is I actually had a cavity that was sealed, not with mercury, thankfully, right? Uh, but for about five, six years. And unfortunately, I was just getting into my health stuff back then. So at that point, you're trying to like work a miracle, like literally saving the tooth for very long periods of time, um, which I do believe is possible. I've seen people do it. Perhaps I just didn't put in the work to do that because it was very close to the root already. She said it was unbelievable that I made it to five years. Um, and so I took the root canal aspect. I know this sounds ridiculous, but I love experimenting and seeing. And I was so healthy when I got the root canal that I wanted to know, would this do anything to me? Because if it did, I already know what to do, right? I have a biological dentist. I'll just, I'll get it removed. I don't believe that I can't fix that. Um, and thank God I, I haven't noticed anything. Um, it's not something I have a desire to keep in long-term, uh, but the problem is for me, you know, it's one of my back molars. So literally to remove that healthy molar, well, not healthy anymore. I'm sorry. Um, you know, normal sized molar, it's going to be a whole thing to put in something else. That's for sure. Um, I got to get the wisdom tooth removed back there. There's a lot to it, but I have heard so many times of people getting these things removed and like virtually overnight, uh, feeling a difference. So I think it's always worth sharing. And if I ever pursue that route, which it, it will happen, I'm more just postponing anyone operating in my mouth like that again, because that, all of that work that you had done, that does not sound particularly fun, I'm guessing. <laughs> no, I mean, it was, uh, it was so. definitely brutal. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. And, and, and incredibly expensive. I mean, it's just the way it is, you know, you have, when you have dentists that, uh, there's not many of them out there that do that kind of, you know, work as far as, um, really the oral surgery part of it. Um, and, yeah. um, you know, and, you know, here's the, here's the sad part, right. Is that, 
Um, and I, I want to definitely share this, Evan, because people need to be aware that uh, it, even though it does cost more to go to biological dentists, um, it's definitely worth it. And, and here's why. I had my mercury fillings when my naturopathic doctor said, it's not, or I'm not going to work with you till you have them done. I went to my conventional dentist. I said, Hey, I need these out. And he, number one said, you know, that's not, uh, you know, needed because they're just fine. And, uh, you know, uh, even though his opinion didn't matter to me, I told him to go ahead and do, take them out. Well, come to find out through the biological dentist that he just ground off the top of them and then covered them up with white fillings. So I actually went 12 years thinking I was mercury free and I wasn't, I just, they were just hidden. So wow. uh, all of this mercury detox and everything I was doing with the naturopathic doctor, you know, I mean, it didn't uh, seem to, um, or, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't working all as it, like it could. And then guess what? On those three um, root canals, I had those removed by a conventional um, or oral surgeon. And um, guess what? He said he removed the periodontal ligament at the same time and he didn't. So when, when I went into my biological dentist, he had to not only grind off all the white, re grind out the, the mercury, but then he had to go in and do seven cavitations all at one time, all four wisdom teeth and the three root canals. So you're exactly right. Seven cavitations, all of that mercury work in one sitting was brutal. And that's exactly why, you know, he put me under, you know, was because it's just, it's too much, you know, for somebody to handle just hanging out, you know? Yeah. I'm not a fan of going under, but I've had to three times in my life at this point. And you know what? It happens so quick and magical things can happen and you wake up and you're fine. So I'm actually all for it now. If <laughs> when I need to get this done, I will just pay for the damn anesthetic. I'll be like, yeah, put me under, take them out put a new tooth in, whatever you got to do is fine. Um, and I, I love that this conversation's kind of gone this way. We won't spend the whole time on it, but again, it's fun to explore people's stories and then the topics, especially when it's something for me that was unexpected. And I know that our audience needs to hear this because no one else has talked about it. So I'm just trying to think of what an audience member is going to throw back. And of course, someone's going to say, well, you know, why wouldn't a normal dentist know this? And I mean, to me, obviously, I can make the comparison immediately of like, well, I know conventional medicine doctors are fantastic people and they're just trained on specific things like treating the symptoms and not the actual root cause. Uh, no pun intended, but um, very lame pun. So <laughs> the thing is, though, I feel like this is actually kind of different because um, you said, what is it called? The periodontal ligament? Is that correct? Correct. Like, like to me, that's an objective thing. He said that he removed it and it's objectively not out. That's a lot different to me than the difference between like conventional and functional medicine. So oh, what, what is your impression of why that guy didn't remove it? Did he think he removed it? Did he not know what he was talking about? Or did he just think that you were being stupid and didn't remove it because of that reason? Do you think? You know, I think in that situation, you know, he um, just didn't do a thorough enough job. You know, I mean, I think that he's not okay. trained to do a thorough enough job. And that's this particular biological dentist I use, you know, he um, actually has dentists come in from all over the world and he trains them how to do, you know, all of this um, correctly. And in, in a traditional dental school, at least from my understanding, is that, you know, this isn't really important, right? I mean, they're going to pull out your wisdom teeth and they're not going to um, worry about the periodontal ligament. And so mm -hmm. in this conventional dentist, right, if I say it's important to me, he says, okay, I did it, um, you know, but if he was never trained on how to do it complete or thorough, then, you know, it ends up still being there and still being a breeding ground for the bacteria. Okay, fair enough. And you know, I like asking questions like that, because I think this is much more innocent 
uh, than people realize because sometimes, and, and this is one of the things I've always wanted to end with this show, or at least contribute to ending it with this show. This is not a conventional medicine versus functional medicine type of thing, guys. Most people, the vast majority of doctors on both sides are doing the best that they can. Um, and I really don't like, um, I'm glad that FDNs typically don't do it because I, I don't like when functional medicine starts throwing hate at conventional. Because you know what the truth is? If I was interviewing a bunch of those people, you find out that they got into medicine for a reason similar to the reason that we got into this, right? It helped them in some way. It saved their life. Their parents did it and they wanted to do it too. So I, I think if we're actually concerned about saving humanity and really helping society, we need to learn to use the best of both worlds and be kind and educate both sides um, as opposed to going against each other. So I appreciate that answer. This isn't a bad guy. This isn't someone not doing what he was supposed to do. He literally did the best thing that he knew how to do uh, based on his training and your request. So fair enough. That's about all we can ask for. But we do need those people who have the proper training in this. And I mean, if we can, can we plug that dentist? Just God forbid anyone's close to that area. We have listeners even internationally. Yeah, you bet. I mean, I'm happy to talk about, uh, you know, so um, in Bountiful, Utah, um, and his name is uh, um, Dr. Wall. Um, so um, all right. Jud- Judson, yep, Dr. Judson Wall, I believe is how you um, say his name. But uh, anyhow, he's in Bountiful, Utah. So yeah, amazing guy. And, uh, you know, while I was in the waiting room, right, I mean, just uh, all of these people from all over the country, you know, ready to um, finally get healthy again. And um, I did, you know, my wife didn't have the root canals, right? She just had the the wisdom teeth removed. And uh, sure enough, you know, her um, mouth was also full of infection and she carried that for over 20 years. And guess what? Same thing, having her immune system, you know, through the roof. I mean, just uh, both of us are staying well than we more than we've ever have. It's amazing. That's incredible. All right. That's inspiring. Not like tomorrow inspiring, but like in the next calendar year inspiring you know, to get these things addressed. Um, all right, cool. So I appreciate that shout out. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes. And I will also add one. Um, I'll throw it out right now. Uh, Meeting House Dental in Pennsylvania, Hapero, Pennsylvania, or Horsham even maybe. I'm very lucky to have those guys about 20, 30 minutes away. And uh, Dustin, I've had FDNs that they didn't realize where I lived. They're driving two hours from New York to come see these people because of what they do there. So that's Meeting House uh, Dental for those in the local area. Now, uh, moving this forward a little bit, what, what I'm curious about is because I should have asked better. I feel like there's a bit of a disconnect. You know, you have this experience with the bodybuilding, nutrition, removing cow's milk. Okay, great. I'm feeling better. But then you're ending up at like a biological dentist and there's typically more that goes on in between those two things. So how did this, and even the naturopathic doctor, honestly, I know that that removal of cow's milk started changing your mindset, but how did that evolve into like natural medicine? Did you have um, an external influence? Did you have someone that was involved in this or through your own self-study, did you come to the conclusion that, Hey, I want to go to a natural practitioner? You know um, it's, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, there was, there was so much, um, you know, ill health kind of in between that uh, the whole, the whole scenario, right. Just looking for, the right, um, you know, path. And that's what of course led to a lot of the modalities, right. As far as, you know, biological dentist or the naturopathic, or I've been to functional medicine, many chiropractors, um, you know, just trying to find, you know, optimal health. And, and, you know, one of the things that, um, 
that I was really dealing with a lot was, um, you know, neurological issues like massive brain fog. I mean, debilitating brain fog. Um, you know, the gut issues were still there, but remember that I was also still, um, over exercising, right? So, so you right, really right. can't have this optimal, um, scenario, but, uh, anyhow, um, you know, there, there was several things that, you know, basically came about, you know, uh, we found out that I had iron overload, you know, through some of these doctors. Um, so that was dealt with. Um, but, uh, here's what's interesting is that when I found, um, FDN, um, you know, uh, when I stopped kind of getting the, um, pill for an ill or the, um, kind of trial and error scenario happening to me, which is exactly what happened. It didn't matter what practitioner they had one pill that I left the office with, you know, or some mm -hmm. kind of one lifestyle that recommendation. And, and, um, so anyhow, but with doing all of, um, you know, coming, coming about with FDN, you know, basically finding FDN and it really came because I was so passionate about health, you know, I had already been through a nutrition certification and, um, you know, I, uh, became a certified nutrition consultant and that really wasn't enough. You know, I just couldn't help people as deep as I wanted to, because I'm not seeing their, you know, lab screenings. And, um, but anyhow, when I implemented FDN, because when I started doing the program, it was amazing because of that, um, entire, you know, uh, picture, right. That 10,000 foot approach, um, you know, that non-specific approach that we're doing. And um, that's really what led to me. One of my biggest findings, uh, believe it or not, Evan, and this helped me so much is I actually removed, um, you know, as much oxalic acid as I could out of my, my life. So I found out that, um, you know, through functional testing that I am really high in oxalates. And a lot of it was due to candida overgrowth because of all the antibiotics, right? Here we come back yeah. to this, Right. And um, so anyhow, as soon as I did that, right, the, the brain was able to finally stop getting sliced up, uh, basically, right, by these glass shards of oxalic acid. So I didn't have the brain fog. My joints were back to working better. Um, you know, my gut was back to working better. And so anyhow, and all throughout this, I, you know, learned, right, that I need to decrease exercise. So that all this, uh, again, remember, it's the big, pro big approach, not just the one pill. And through all yeah. of that, you know, I have got, you know, really the best health I've ever had. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So many uh, stories of like almost like reverse aging at FDN. And that's a pretty cool thing. And it happens so consistently that you guys know we're on to something. Now, you brought up another great topic that we haven't really touched on on the show, and that's oxalates. And I have admittedly so much to learn with that. But um, I was going to ask you anyway, yeah, what you found with the FDN labs. So um, let's let's start it or word it like this. What did you find with the FDN labs when you were going through the program? Um, anything outside of the oxalates? And then we'll touch on the oxalates and what those actually are. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, just starting out with, you know, one of the first things that we do, right. Is the really look at the hormonal balance. Um, you know, I was in the exhaustive stage of HPA access dysfunction, and that's certainly going to be a, um, you know, an exercise scenario, at least in my case, you know, um, that was really where the main stressors came from. You know, I didn't really have a stressful, uh, childhood necessarily, or stressful jobs or whatever. It was really coming down to the stress that I put on myself. And, and so, you know, that's definitely one thing that we found out, um, you know, um, seeing the uh, mucosal barrier, not as, um, you know, strong and healthy as it's supposed to be. That was there. Um, definitely the gut, um, you know, pathogens are, you know, showing up and, um, you know, then of course, 
finding out, you know, oxalic acid through, you know, doing a uh, Great Plains um, organic acid testing. Um, you know, that was uh, really revealing. And, uh, you know, certainly the candida overgrowth and, you know, a lot of this stuff, right? My, my doctors either six suspected or they had ran a lab and seen some of this, right? I mean, it was the first time I told that, that uh, I was in the exhaustive phase, but guess what? Nobody could approach it like FDN because nobody did the whole thing, right? It was, I left with one pill or I left with one modality. It wasn't the full dress protocol of like, you know, all of this needs to be done right now for diet and all of this needs to be done right now for rest and, and, you know, exercise and stress and so forth. So anyhow, you know, that's really the bit, the, the beauty of, you know, um, FDN, right. Is truly our, uh, world's best epigenetic program, right? Uh, dress like Reed says. <laughs> yeah. And it's cool because there's so much new science coming out that shows what we can do with, I mean, like even autophagy, like there's, there's certain things that are coming out in the world of, uh, scientific literature that really show how we can increase healing even further. And FDN stays up to date on most of it. You know, we're, we're constantly adding to the course and doing more. Uh, but what I always find particularly impressive because I don't think people think about it this way is that this philosophy was around for over 20 years, way before functional medicine was cool. Like, Reed has a, a pretty cool ability to be successful in multiple domains, you know what I mean? And just like actually go in and figure it out. Um, and it's always impressive to me that like 20 plus years ago, first of all, he was even recognizing this as a problem, let alone, okay, I'm going to find a solution to that. Uh, because the philosophy stays the same, even if the protocols or science get a little more advanced, the philosophy is always the same. And that's uh, the number one thing that makes FDN and FDN Thrive unique. Now, um, I'd love to, again, talk about some oxalates and learn more about those. We don't have to go too in-depth, but you, you worded them even as like these glass-like shards. And that's how I have heard oxalates worded as before. So what are oxalates? What are foods high in them? Are they a problem for everyone? I'd, I'd love to get your interpretation of them. Yeah, you know, Evan, they are um, glass light shards. I mean, if you look at them under the electronic microscope, which you can see all kinds of pictures online, um, you know, of that, they are basically glass shards. And, um, you know, some I, I've heard some people, you know, have mentioned maybe that there's this is a hormetic stress, right, that we are basically um, the body's able to adapt to this. And, uh, you know, it really isn't true. You're like, this is truly a toxin. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, most people are, um, affected because we have such a gut health problem in this country. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, you know, we're, we're supposed to have a, um, so let's back up real quick. Like oxalates are, um, you know, uh, in a lot of foods and they're in a lot of the healthy foods. So as I went down the path of, you know, becoming healthier and healthier, you're going to find yourself, you know, drinking green tea you know, and so the tea plants high in oxalates, you're going to find yourself <laughs> typically the darkest chocolate you can with no sugar, right? And so that's going to be, you know, straight cacao, and that's high in oxalates. You're going to find yourself eating these leafy greens like spinach and Swiss chard and maybe even rhubarb if you can gag that down, you know, and uh, you're going to end up, you know, um, maybe even uh, juicing kale and um these other greens, you know, and all these things are higher in oxalates and probably the one of the highest is spinach. Um, you know, and I've heard it said that, uh, you know, two leaves of spinach is your as your oxalate content for the day. And, you know, a spinach salad, right, is probably 20 leaves, you know. So anyhow, but um, what happens is, is Evan, your gut can break down oxalic acid. 
if it has, you know, the oxalobacter intact and, you know, this is a bacteria that can really degrade. And if you have a healthy microbiome, but those of us that don't, and then you have candida that's basically occupied the parking spaces, right, of this, uh, you know, gut that doesn't have uh, a full parking lot of good bacteria, you know, um, you're, you're basically now creating more, right? And people with either mold or candida, um, you know, there's a, there's a, t a connection here, right, with candida, in that. Um, so anyhow, um, the, uh, the oxalic acid, like with for my, uh, in my case, uh, they, the sources that I have followed and, and uh, found, you know, it can shred your, um, you know, uh, brain, brain blood barrier. So allowing oxalic acid into the mm -hmm. brain, uh, you can shred, you know, basically your mucosal barrier and then, you know, certainly joints. Um, and, um, so anyhow, um, a lot of times it's a crazy how, what oxalates do with people and so many people are affected. You know, we certainly see it quite a bit in our functional testing, um, because, um, you know, again, microbiome is just not intact and we're all trying to be healthier. So we really. All right. Apologies, my friends. We actually lost connection for some reason. Um, both have good internet, you know, sometimes it just happens with technology. So. Uh, Dustin and I were recording a video, but we're actually sticking to audio for the rest of the podcast, just for simplicity's sake. And what we were talking about right before this is oxalates, and Dustin was giving us a great explanation. Now, I will explain this question in a second, and I don't know if this has no basis in reality whatsoever, but I'm hoping that it does, because it, again, I have a connection here. Dustin, would there be any reason that someone could crave foods high in oxalates? Would that even make sense, or have you never heard of something like that? You know, I haven't necessarily heard of anybody craving um, foods like that. You know, um, it's kind of interesting that the body does have, you know, a tendency to um, crave things that aren't good for them. And so it wouldn't surprise me. I just haven't heard of that. You know, I mean, you know that, um, you know, cigarette smoke, right, is not good for anyone, but people crave it, right, because of the addictive uh, abilities or whatever. And um, certainly like, you know, just with like I was talking about earlier, the dairy sensitivities, right, is that um, it's real common, right? You can have this sensitivity, but you still crave the food. And um, so anyhow, we see that also with wheat and gluten, you know, is a, is a lot of craving for something that people are, is uh, really toxic to them. And so it wouldn't surprise me, but I haven't heard of that, uh, Evan. Okay, well, and this is what I'm getting at with it. So you had listed off kale, spinach, dark chocolate, which I'm actually like aware of a lot of the foods that had high oxalates. Um, and now I'm connecting a bunch of stuff. So it used to be a joke. Like this was six, seven years ago, even pre-FDN. I, I was getting into health. I was doing like organic vegetarian. I thought that was correct. I, I don't really believe that's correct for most people nowadays, but that's besides the point. And uh, there was always a joke that I would eat this insanely large bowl of kale and blueberries. I mean, like huge, right? And I would make a salad out of that. And that was basically it. Then I switched from that. And then I used to eat spinach by the handful, like out of one of those uh, boxes, the organic little things that they come in the family packs. I would eat spinach by the handful. I had no idea why I could do this. No one, everyone else around me was looking like I'm weird as hell. Um, well, they do that anyway, but now there was an additional reason for that. And and so we're, they're pulling, I'm pulling out the spinach. I would do that. When I went through FDN, I had such a bad dark chocolate problem. And some would say that hasn't gone away necessarily that I would eat like half a bag of those raw cacao nibs every single day. And I used to eat probably two avocados a day at one point, And I would put sweet potato on everything. And I mean, you know, one or two of these things, it's like, okay, but there's like five things there that I know are very high in oxalates from my understanding that I've had 
rather intense cravings for um, at certain point in my life. And actually, those were some of the only problematic foods I've ever had. Uh, still to this day, dark chocolate. I either just need to like not have it at all, or if I do, I mean, Dustin, I could eat, you know, those keto cups things, the things that come in like the huge bags. I could eat the entire bag, no problem. Wouldn't even think twice about it. So um, I don't know. Maybe I'll be the first case study for oxalate addiction here. I I don't know. There seems to be some correlation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it wouldn't surprise me um, at all. And, and, you know, um, that that's interesting. You know, you had mentioned the, the vegan um, scenario and, and that was another, you know, big reason why I didn't get, um, you know, healthy is probably sooner is because, you know, the schooling that I had went through initially to get my certified nutrition consultant, they were pro um, vegan and vegetarian. And so of course, you know, I was like, well, if I'm you know going to do this school, I've got to do the diet. And so two years of it and uh, the last good, almost a year, I think it was, uh, you know, I went all raw and, um, you know, this is another oh, you know, big problem, right? Is that, you know, you're going to bring in all of this oxalic acid and, um, anyhow, um, yeah, it's definitely, uh, another big component of, you know, kind of, uh, the health issue and, and, uh, you know, getting worse health. And that's why, um, I'm so thankful for FDN and being able to, you know, find this perspective of, you know, doing the entire thing and a, a very sound approach to, you know, diet, rest, exercise, supplements, and stress. So, um, yeah, I hear you. Excellent. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll look into that. I'll see if there's anything uh, to it. Because I even remember when I ran my MRT, spinach was probably like my second highest reactive food. Um, and it was super red. So it's just like you said, there's almost this uh, paradoxical kind of thing where we actually eat and crave sometimes the foods that we are most sensitive to uh, for a variety of reasons. So I'll check that out and look into it. Anyway, yeah. moving forward here, you know, eventually you decide that this is what you want to do um, with your life and as a career. And it makes sense, right? When people have dealt with this kind of stuff and then we finally find resolution, uh, it can, it's amazing. It's inspiring. Of course, we want to go out and do this type of work. So how long did it take you to become an FDN mentor from like the time of, you know, finding FDN? Because again, guys, I can't stress enough. I'm not just hyping it up. If you're an FDN mentor, I mean, you, you know your stuff. They're not just letting anyone do that. That's for sure. So um, how long did it take you to get into that position? You know, uh, not, not very long, Evan, I had actually uh, graduated in February and, uh, then I had seen that, um, you know, the, um, the job posting, you know, for a mentor in, uh, July that same year. And, um, so I had already had a pretty solid practice. Uh, you know, I, I drew upon, you know, my past clientele, um, being a, uh, nutritionist at a health food store for four and a half years. I, um, worked at a supplement company for three and a half years. Um, so that's eight years of basically supplement education. Um, and then I also was a personal fitness trainer for 10 years. And so anyhow, I drew upon those, um, clients and, you know, built a really strong practice right out of the gate. And then, you know, um, saw the FDN, uh, mentoring, uh, position available and did that. And, you know, the main reason why was because I absolutely, uh, can't get enough teaching. Like I just love to teach it's, it. It was that way with personal training. It was that way, of course, with uh, health coaching at the the health food store. And it's now that way with mentoring and, and, you know, clientele, you're right. You get to certainly coach them and you get to teach them, but it's not like a, you know, a super consistent scenario where you get to do it, you know, as much as you possibly want. And, and so this is such a great fit and I love to be able to teach and help out. It's so great. 
Interesting, man. That's a gift. That's so cool that you're uh, able to do that, especially with something so important. Now, in your own personal practice, because you do have one, and we'll shout that out in just a moment here, do you have a particular type of client that you like to take on? Do you have a niche? or? And I only word it this way because I, I have known people at your level of like FDN mentorship, you know, they kind of can get away with doing it almost generally. Uh, but do you have a niche? And even if not, who's your ideal type of person that you like to take on? You know, I mean, I've definitely considered, you know, a niching down. I mean, that's, uh, you know, something that a lot of us do in the functional space. But, um, you know, in general, I really have um, stayed as broad as possible. And, and it's because, um, you know, of being able to help uh, as many people deal with complex health issues as, as possible. And that's really what FDN ultimately is, is by doing a non-specific approach, um, you know, you're not necessarily niching down. Now, if you were to say, right, you know, everybody has a little stronger um, area of, you know, expertise, it would definitely be, you know, um, GI health because of, you know, my past experience and having to, you know, navigate that um, you know, with my, um, with myself and cer- certainly the neurological, um, stuff that I dealt with, you know, led me down a lot of study about the brain and, um, that type of thing. So anyhow, I, I really am open to all clientele because, um, you know, I've worked with children and I've worked with, um, you know, women and men both, and, you know, certainly a, a gamut of health issues, but definitely gut and uh, brain are, you know, s- some of my strong suits for sure. Well, and fair enough, right? Because uh, again, guys, just to explain the role, I mean, as a, a course kind of mentor here, advisor, I mean, you're working with people all the time that come into FDN and a variety of people come into FDN with all issues that you can imagine all across the board. So I, th- I think that makes total sense and is totally fair in your case. Now, this is typically a show for people that are consumers that are trying to learn more about functional medicine and potentially even work with someone. But I do have one question today that I got from the course trainee group side, and I, I wanted to ask it. They said, what's one thing that you wish that you knew when you started your FDN practice? You know what? Um, hmm, that's interesting, Evan. Um, one thing that I wish I would have known before starting the FDN practice. Um, you know what? I don't know if I have an answer. That's kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it throws you off too, because it's a whole, it's kind of a different uh, side of this subject, right? (laughs) We went from talking health to almost like a, almost a business type of thing. Um, So fair enough. And you did start out, you, you already had clients from what you said, right? You were working with people, you added the functional lab testing in. Um, yeah, I mean, basically the, um, I was, I, at the time though, that I actually got the FDN, you know, um, certification, I was, um, you know, working for a supplement company and I was starting a, I was starting basically my, um, health coaching up again because I missed, you know, having that ability to teach, even though at the supplement company, right. Again, I was the product specialist and the educator. And so I was able to teach, um, you know, that way also, but, um, Anyhow, no, it, it, most of it came from, you know, after I got the FDN certification that I started back um, really heavy into my practice. Understood. All right. Fair enough. So then uh, two more things for you. One is an obvious one. Where can people find you if they'd like to get connected or work with you? You know, I uh, have a website. Um, you know, my business name is seriousaboutwellness.com, um, you know, and um, so you can certainly, you know, uh, click on uh, a 
um, free consultation with me and we can really, you know, discover uh, if we, you know, are a good fit, if we can work together and that type of thing. Um, you can also find that same website um, with DustinMcFarland.com. So either way, and, um, you know, just click on the, you know, contact me page and we'll, we'll get in touch that way. And it work, works really well. Okay, perfect. All right. Of course, guys, we'll have that in the show notes as well. And then Dustin, the final question for you, the signature question on the health detective podcast. And I definitely have to qualify this with a mentor because we are totally respecting bio-individuality here. So to the best of your ability, answer this question. If we were to give Dustin McFarland a magic wand and you could get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health, whether that's literally do one thing or not do one thing, what is the one thing that Dustin would get them to do? <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know, I mean, super, super loaded, right? Because we have so much, um, you know, so much we can do. And, um, you know what, uh, this has not been brought up, you know, I mean, certainly right. Oxalates and all these things have been, and they've been helping me, but this has not been brought up. And I would say if I had a magic wand, I'd have everybody out there, um, do, um, cold exposure because, uh, that that's one thing that I, I can tell you has made me a uh, stronger, healthier, fit, fitter person. You know, I mean, it just has the, um, you know, getting into cold showers, cold lakes, cold streams, um, haven't been able to experience cryotherapy. Nobody around uh, me that I know of is, uh, does that, but, um, I would say that would make a huge difference in everyone's health. I really believe it. Hey, well, big shout out to Dustin McFarland for hopping on with us. I love this guy. Definitely a huge asset to FDN and everything that he does for us as a course mentor and advisor. And I also love his little tip there because I don't think in all 100 something episodes that anyone has ever mentioned the cold aspect. I'm huge on that. I got to be careful what I say, right? Because people all of a sudden think that they can go be jumping in cold lakes. <laughs> Definitely check with your doctor first. They're probably going to give you some looks regardless of whether or not you're safe to do it. However, it is really fun, feels really good, and it's kind of one of those things where, yes, it sucks doing it at first, but it's a trade-off of you will feel benefits from the very first time. You're going to feel a mental benefit, um, probably a little happier. Um, I'm actually being serious. It's kind of an amazing experience and also more energized. I have had experiences where I pushed it and I was already tired. So then I got into the cold and admittedly, it did not make me energized at all. It made me quite fatigued. But what's cool is you'll find that the body can adapt to this in a way that you wouldn't expect. I started really pursuing this in the summer of 2020. And so what I did was I first got into like a 56 degree um, river and that was like enough to get my breath a little bit, right? I go, and I got that little take back, but then I started getting in the cold showers and in a way that those are kind of worse because your body never truly adapts since it's hitting you with little water droplets as opposed to full submersion. And by the end of that year, so around six months later, my friends and I, because you know, birds of a feather flock together and we're all insane. My other friends like to do ice baths as well. And they do like real ice baths. We're talking 30 to 40 degree ones. And so we invented something called the Delaware Polar Plunge. We all live near the Delaware River in Pennsylvania, and we would hop in this thing. Now, do you need to be hopping in 30 degree water to feel better? I don't necessarily think so. However, the 55 degree water that is typically going to come from the coldest setting on your shower, minus if you live in a really southern state such as Florida or Texas or whatever, 
chances are you're going to get that water temperature just from your shower by turning it all the way cold, and you will get large benefits just from that. So pretty cool, right? Well, that's all for today's episode. We are looking forward to talking to you guys again soon. And if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we are two away from 50 perfect five-star reviews. I would love you guys even more than I already do. Take care, and I will talk to you again soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Health Detective Podcast. If you are ready to finally work with a real health detective on your health journey so that you can get well and stay well naturally, visit us at fdmthrive.com and click the Get Started Here button. 